Podcast Network. Welcome to CJ's Podcast. Would you like to try the special? No, let me have one of your Podcast Networks, please. What size drink would you like with that? Uh, I'm going to skip the drink, thanks. Would you like any ketchup or sauce? What the hell am I going to do with ketchup or sauce with a Podcast Network? Thank you for choosing CJ's Podcast. Please pull to the first window. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as they venture into the world of entertainment as they discuss a variety of topics from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking... An under-the-hood interview with a man responsible for more than a hundred soundtracks, including Iron Man 2 and Predator's John Debney. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixcraft 5 recording software and ability interpreting. The summer of 2010 had a boom for feature films. You really never know how difficult it is to be creative, innovative, engaging, when cinematic atmosphere is concerned. Until, of course, well, it's time to bring it. Two Guys Talking has reviewed each summer blockbuster this season with our perspective reviews. A truly original look at movies a month plus after they come out. And you, the fans, love it. What you're sure to love also is this new Under the Hood review with one of the true architects of much of this summer's recent cinematic success and more. Yeah, I know. You're all sick to death of me talking about film scores and soundtracks and sound. But folks, it's truly a part of films today. And you're going to learn a lot from someone that truly knows how to bring it to the proverbial feature film tape. The Two Guys Talking podcast is proud to feature an Under the Hood review with composer of Predators, Iron Man 2, The Passion of the Christ, and a ton more, John Debney. John, welcome to the Two Guys Talking Podcast. A true honor to have you. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be with you. I love your show, and I'm delighted to be with you guys today. It's it just, I, I always ooze at the beginning of these interviews because I literally get to jump into the little engines that can and do for cinema, in particular this summer. We've had a couple of really rough years where they've had big movies that come out, but they, they just kind of suck. <laughs> this, this last summer was excellent to have not only movies that you were involved with, but other films that just really brought it to the table. It's been a great summer for feature films. Good. I agree. I haven't been able to see a lot of films this summer, but I look forward to seeing a number of them uh, as time goes by. I usually get to see most of these films around you know, the Academy Awards time when I get the films in the mail. Mm. I'm looking forward to seeing Inception in particular. Inception, uh, we actually have a perspective review coming up next week, Tuesday, about that. One of the Wonderful. W- one of the films I expected my cohort in crime, Tony Lovasco, to hate, but he didn't. He uh, he loved it, and I, I continue to marvel at Tony's ability to, to like something that I would never expect him to like. Uh, the hoops that you have to jump through inside of that film, I thought were wonderful. Uh, of course, that film's also driven by a gorgeous soundtrack, which I'm sure you've heard. I've heard bits and pieces of it, yeah. I okay. think that Hans did a, a remarkable job on it. Or... In, in, incredibly, uh, he, he just always brings the percussion inside of stuff that you would never expect. Yeah, very inventive and uh, a true craftsman. He really is. And so, so who is John Debney? Give, give our audience a little bit of background beyond what's inside of your bio. I, I think it's always hardest to describe oneself. I I would describe myself as a um, working composer, Mm -hmm. one that had started in television and really working for other composers in television, Mm -hmm. working my way up, thankfully, into feature films. You know, that's been my road. I I feel I'm a um, chameleon of sorts. I feel, again, I've been lucky enough to do different types of uh, genre films and very much enjoy wearing different hats. I, I think in one way that's, um, that best describes me. I guess I, I would say I'm a chameleon, and I enjoy being a chameleon. Looking back inside of your storied list of stuff that you've worked on, I see that you worked on Deep, uh, Deep Space Nine, which just happens to be my favorite Star Trek genre. Really? What, that's tell, your favorite Star Trek show? It is. It is. The, uh, the character arcs. Uh, the story in general, and that you could actually depict war inside of the future and give some gravitas to the people. Uh, that's that's really something. Very very true. Yeah. True. I agree with you. By the way, I I think it it uh, you know my favorite shows of course the original series. Sure. But uh, yeah, of all the spinoffs, 
I think I'd agree with you. I like Deep Space the best. I think that it was the most sort of different in attitude and approach, and yeah. I and I enjoyed that. Yeah, the writing really got me, and having so many friends that have been Star Trek fans forever, that you could bring something different to the table, but also make it engaging. Again, that's that's totally difficult. I agree. I think that those you know a terrific set of writers throughout that the mm-hmm. run of, of all those shows. For some reason, Deep Space. Uh, sticks out in my mind too and you know interestingly enough I worked on one episode of Next Gen wanted to do more but I just schedule wise you know I couldn't do it I did two episodes of DS9 and Mm -hmm. they were so different but ones that I did were so different than um, what one would I guess perceive as the normal sort of sound of Star Trek so it was a lot of fun I've got to imagine coming, and especially Deep Space Nine, again, that's why I liked it, because it was so diverse and kind of all over the place without being like a jar of spilled jelly beans all over the place. And that that's... I like the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Captain, uh, is it Cisco? I'm not sure of names, but um, I thought he was really terrific. I thought he was a very nuanced... Guy. I've had the fortune to meet all but Avery. Avery Brooks is the guy you're referring to, and yep. uh, all, all of them, uh, in fact, most most of the Star Trek stars are really down to earth people. There's just a very few that have the the uh, the goofy personality stuffs going on, but they're they're fun because they have the goofy personality stuffs. Um, right, and Frakes is quite quite a good guy, isn't he? He is. He is. Uh, directed one of the the one he did. I believe he directed the one I did, and I, just everybody has said he's very down to earth kind of approachable one yeah that's also something that happened inside of deep space nine quite a bit that i know next gen started but it's where the stars actually come out of their i am an actor cocoon and begin directing because they bring a completely different understanding of all of the characters to the table um which which again it's not something that most people don't talk about the directorial stuff kind of goes out the window unless you have a huge name when you bring somebody like a a lavar into the director's seat where he knows all of the characters and has been working with them for umpteen years. It really makes a difference inside of the production. It makes a big difference. I Listen, I agree with you. And by the way, I would say as an adjunct, personally, I think it helps being when you're as a composer mm-hmm. to work on, on a series like that. Or, for instance, this series I did called, Deep, called Sequest. Mm-hmm. It's quite wonderful to work on something over and over again and you 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 sort of develop the sound you develop the vocabulary mm-hmm. and that's correct you end up i think whether an actor or a director or as a composer etc as a writer you really get to know these characters and scenarios inside and out and it's really really fun it's really interesting yeah there's something to be said about vision and i think a lot of people and it's again why i do the under the hoods with the composers anytime i can Literally, you guys have vision for all the projects that you work on. Um, one of the vision questions I had was, what is it like to come back to a movie that came out 23 years ago that had a soundtrack from Alan Silvestri that was uh, at, at least iconic? What, what was it like to jump into that? Very much iconic. You know, it's one of those iconic scores. I think it's one of Alan's finest scores. Oh, I totally um, agree. I'm, I also agree with you. I, I'm a huge Alan fan mm-hmm. and have been... You know, for forever. So for me, approaching it, it was it was rather daunting. It was, on the one hand, daunting, and on another hand, a little embarrassing, mm-hmm. in the sense that, first of all, <laughs> you know, I don't know the reasons why Alan wasn't didn't do it, but I have a feeling it's because of you know schedule, etc., the normal sure. things. Mm-hmm. But having said that, you know, it was daunting, and I really had to early on make make some decisions and have some discussions about. Was I going to utilize any of Alan's material? And, and, and in my mind, there was no question that I wanted to u- utilize some of Alan's wonderful themes and motifs. It was very simple. I talked to the director and the, the producer. I talked to the studio. Mm-hmm. I told them that I, my vision would be to embrace Alan's iconic score mm-hmm. and extrapolate from it, pay the homage to what I consider a pretty sacred thing, yeah, and but also you know put my own stamp on it and re envision it, and so that's what I did. Very, very well said. Inside of our perspective review for Predators, we have something that we call tones. When we're building the show, we'll right. uh, call it a bullet point. We'll insert a tone, and then we have the the breakdown of whatever you're looking at. And inside of there, you've got the and you guys brought a I'll call it a metal guitar for lack of a, a better a better word. 
and it's it's what we've gotten the most feedback about in our show of that is because it's one of those things where people can't get it out of their head. Thank you. Yeah, that was the especially that piece. I mean, that piece is just absolutely perfect. Yeah. Literally, all I felt I had to do was throw a little little spice on the top of it, and I thought what what might be really really fun would be a little metal guitar, yeah. you know, and a little little synthy. There's, there's some synth material with that. Yeah. And, and then, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was fun. And so, at the very least, you have those kinds of items in the score where it's sort of verbatim, mm-hmm. note for note. And then other times you have, you know, it, it, it was fun for me. Other times you have many cues, many pieces of music that sound as though <laughs> Alan wrote them, but I wrote them, and that, and that was quite fun for me. Maybe because of my background, is I, I have a classical background to me it was a theme and variation really it was fun to listen to and again i've admitted this inside of our review when i originally saw this i think it's because of the venue i went to a an older larger wider theater when i originally saw this film and i didn't care for it I, i i don't know why but it wasn't engaged but what did drag me through wonderfully was the soundtrack because you visited you were just as you've said you were able to visit old cues and then I add on to them as we're getting in new introductory story. I think one that strikes me the most is what we've always called the Billy Engine Throwdown. That's where you've uh, you've got the Yakuza guy that's uh, drawing a sword and is now going to have this giant epic sword fight in the tall grass with a predator. Right. Wonderfully done, a call to the past, and something that actually got me sold on making that a positive point of the movie instead of a negative one. And uh, again, it was because of your soundtrack. Well, thank you for that. I... I love that scene, too. Uh, I can't take total credit for that. I must say, you know, our director, Nimrod Antal, that particular uh, scene and that particular piece of music was, you know, that was something they tempted in there, which I just embraced. And I manipulated it and, you know, did a little bit different build that, than Alan did, of course. And then I added just, just simply add a little bit of the, the Japanese element to it, some taiko drums, etc. But, yeah, I, I can't take full credit for that. That was um, quite... A nice moment that these guys sort of conceived, and I just, you know, absolutely fell in love with it when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. The other summer blockbuster that you're tied to for this year, of course, is Iron Man Two. The biggest question I have, I, I'm, I'm actually holding the uh, the soundtrack here in my hand. The uh, that it was so ACDC based, and none of your score is on the actual soundtrack album. How the, how did that happen? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> you know, it's a loaded question. You're dealing with a huge band. This the band's deal was set long before I was ever involved. Sure. I believe I'm guessing, but I'm at least what, sort of what I've been told is that part of the deal with ACDC was simply that they didn't want any other music on their album. Interesting. And you know what? It, it's always it's always a shame to me. It, it, many of our uh, us as composers don't have any choice in the matter. It's all about right. Deals and dollars and cents. Uh, well, and re- really, in in the uh, the original interlude or the original prelude to your interview here, we we literally talked about how you are kind of a wrench to the me- the movie making process. And as much as people don't like being called a screwdriver for whatever project, y- you guys are literally. Well, we are. We absolutely are. And and I would I would add to that that some directors seem to know that. Yeah. Others don't. Yeah. I would just say that there's also you know, sort of a style of filmmaking in some of these movies. Mm-hmm. We, as as you know, the wrench, uh, as it were, sometimes aren't able to do everything that we really can do. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, I, I think that sometimes, you know, I had this discussion the other day, I think sometimes these days music is more of a throwaway commodity. I think that... Yeah, I'll agree with that. These movies have become so grand and loud and sophisticated and in your face and visually sort of, you know, to me there's sort of a visual overload that occurs and an oral audio overload and I think that the best scenario for me, I guess I'd put it this way, is that I've learned a lot doing these these two films. It's sort of more of a battle these days than I think it used to be because we're we're fighting for, for our own turf and I think that sometimes Iron Man is probably a good example. I wasn't happy with the dub on that score. I felt that the music was in some places just non-existent yeah you know there was sort of a, a, a discussion all through that movie that um because of the effects because of the frequency range of, of some of these effects and what they were doing it was sometimes very difficult to discern any music and at the end of the day 
I know that's the nature of the beast, but it, it, it is just something I've noticed, and I know I took a little tangent on, on you there, but it's something that's very interesting. I think we're getting to the point almost that we're, we're maybe going too far sometimes with effects, uh, with loud, you know, everything's loud, everything's... I, I totally agree. I, I, we, we had talked just a tiny little bit about Inception in our, uh, in our prelude, and there's nothing wrong with loud, striking sounds, but continual loud, striking sounds for continual loud, striking sound's sake... I, I'm totally not a fan of that, and I think that the people where I went and saw my uh, the first of two showings of Inception, they literally just said, why don't we increase the volume 25%? The reason to increase the volume 25% was to increase the volume 25% as opposed to there actually being reason. So I, I join you in that. It's something that we have noticed since um, probably the, the first time we started uh, reviewing regularly the Hit Fox Show 24, uh, where we're talking about Sean Callery almost every single episode of that five, six, and seventh year season. And then in this last eighth season, very muted. And it wasn't that there were gunshots or anything interrupting him, but he literally, the the sound and, and the music that he either chose to use or had to use was very muted as opposed to it being a, a piece of the atmosphere that paints a canvas for people to watch. And uh, yeah, I, I right. totally agree with you, and I, I don't make any music at all. Uh, you're absolutely I right on. I agree with you. I just, I think that, you know, I, I completely agree with you, and I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it. I think that there's only so much that, that the human brain can perceive. Yes. I, for one, I had this discussion with a very, very successful writer-producer uh, the other day. Mm -hmm. He's an old friend, and one of his comments was, Oh my God! You know, another <laughs> explosion, another, yeah. you know, in-your-face sequence. Because it's just there's like a point of saturation. Yeah. I don't know. I my suggestion is my my comment is that I think sometimes we reach that point of saturation very quickly these days. Yeah. I think that as well as Iron Man did, and it was really, really, you know, it did very well, and and it was a really great film and fun film to be involved with my, my comment is sort of that if, if, if you show everything if you hit the audience so hard all the time it's sort of like you tune out after a while I totally agree with that speaking of tuning out it's time to take a break here on the two guys talking podcast under the hood review with John Debney we'll be right back are you a blogger always wanted to be one are you a business that wants to add a blog to their website are you an existing blogger who's looking for more traffic? Then check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Access bloggersbug.com now and get bit by the blogger's bug. How? Check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Get bit by the blogger's bug. Bloggersbug.com. Get bit by the blogger's bug. Hi guys, Scott Fitzpatrick here, one half of the dynamic duo from the Light the Lamp podcast. Don't miss our great interview with Randy Hahn, voice of the San Jose Sharks. Randy was nice enough to share some great background and stories on and about himself, as well as discuss one of the most dominating teams in the National Hockey League, the San Jose Sharks. This interview will give you some great hockey perspective, as well as an insight to the world of sports broadcasting. So check us out at lightthelamppodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my personal thoughts on the Bloggers Bug website with two minutes of hockey hate. It's just another piece of the Light the Lamp podcast regularly featured on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Sound. It brings us thoughts, memories, and feelings that are often hard to describe. Thankfully, it's never been easier to describe the quality of the products we use to make the Two Guys Talking podcast shows. Heil Sound has supplied us with some outstanding deals that allow us to bring you some of the best quality podcasts that we just simply couldn't provide without the quality items Heil Sound provides for us. Be sure to stop and visit the Heil Sound website at HeilSound.com, H-E-I-L-S-O-U-N-D.com, for your recording needs. Whether it's the outstanding performance of their new Finn microphones or the stability of their PR2 microphone booms, one thing is sure. You'll also be able to give a clear, concise description of what you get from using Heil Sound products. Satisfaction. Tell them that the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network sent you.
Hi, this is Sandy Halley, voiceover artist from The Voice Farm, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Ability Interpreting was created to connect people who are deaf and hard of hearing. For excellence in sign language interpreting, you can count on Ability. www.interpreterstation.com Hi, I'm Paul Spataro. Be sure to tune in to the Two Guys Talking review of Star Trek here on the Two Guys Talking Network. Are you tired of paying outrageous prices for proprietary office software? Is half of the budget for your new PC dedicated to buying expensive applications? Or do you simply live in fear that a multinational corporation might sue you for the thousands of dollars of unauthorized software you have on your PC? Well, fear not! Freedom Sampler is here! With Freedom Sampler, you can experience guilt-free computing for the first time, without opening your wallet! Freedom Sampler provides a full office suite, a full-featured photo editor, web browsing and email, and much more, all without any cost, and all without replacing your current operating system. Visit freedomsampler.com to download your free copy today. Freedom Sampler. Taste the freedom. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Clothing and fight gear on a mission. Fight Ribbon is the original MMA clothing company built from the ground up for fighters and fans. Clothing with a purpose. The new face of cancer awareness, Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Because what you wear matters. Visit FightRibbon.com. The two guys talking. Hollywood has become a giant hotbed for comic book movies. Two Guys Talking is proud to feature a ton of great comic book character movies, including The Incredible Hulk, starring Ed Norton, Liv Tyler, Tim Roth, and William Hurt. Be sure you check it out. Check them all out at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Two Guys Talking Smash! Don't miss the Two Guys Talking feature film review of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. (laughs) Vulgar humor. Robot balls. The thong view. Minority bots. (laughs) Can can we get a collective of everybody to say, we hate all of this. There's no need for any of it. When Mike and I walked out of the theater, the two of us are like, okay, if we just cut the vulgar, the humor out of the movie... We would have enjoyed the movie ten times more than we did. We would actually want to make a cut of the movie without the humor and see how much we'd actually like this movie. Yeah, and when we mention that to our fan base, we get stellar input about how they would love for us to do that. The difference is that we'd go to jail. But I think anybody who's going to own the uh, Blu-ray is probably going to skip ahead when they get to those scenes that they saw in the theater and say, you know, I just don't need this. This should have been on the cutting room floor anyway. And they're going to see the movie that, uh, that we're talking about right now. Don't miss the Two Guys Talking feature film review of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Only at the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Under the Hood Review with composer John Debney. John, welcome back. Great to be here, Michael. We, uh, we've been talking about so much. What, who are the composers that fuel you? Well, great question. Very simple for me. It's Jerry Goldsmith, mm-hmm. God bless him, and it's John Williams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also love a lot of the, you know, golden age people. Mm-hmm. Eric Wolfgang Korngold, Max Steiner, Alfred Newman. Personally, I, I think that if I were to sit down and you tied one hand behind my back and I were to pick something to listen to, it would probably be one of those guys. It would probably be... Bernie Herman, it would mm-hmm. be John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Of, of the newer folks out there, of course, I, I really, really love what Hans does. Mm-hmm. I very much enjoy and always delighted to hear a James Newton Howard score. Mm-hmm. So those are some of my faves. 
Those are some of my we uh, we had the pleasure of welcoming composer Bear McCreary on, uh, who was a wonderful interview, and you will not be surprised to hear that he said many of the same names. Uh, all of those iconic, the the golden age, the people that really push and provide that same atmosphere that you do. I am so happy that those people do the same thing for you that they do for me, and I don't make music at all. Um, they they are able to help with the. I always equate it to the Spielberg films, regardless of how good or bad they are. Uh, Spielberg is the master at submersion. Regardless of the topic, he is able to put you into the environment of insert environment. And when he brings on, it's almost always John Williams in that case. But when he when he strays, I, I, I agree with you. I, yeah. When you talk about John Williams, we were, I was with someone last night. We were talking about John. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting thing. I, I think what separates most of us from people like John and Jerry mm-hmm. and those other guys that I mentioned maybe from the golden age John in particular John can take a not so great movie and make it a great movie agreed and there's very few by the way very few in my humble opinion that can do that yep you know we were talking about Home Alone Home Alone is a really fun movie but without John's score I don't know how good that movie really was really truly would be it, it would have been another summer comedy romp that would have kind of fallen by the wayside very much like it would have been the same thing with uh mouse hunt from alan Silvestri. Mm-hmm. mouse hunt is easily one of the most underappreciated soundtracks i think that's ever been created well and i'm it, glad you mentioned alan I, I i neglected to mention alan yeah i think alan first we talked about him earlier i think alan is underappreciated and underrated. I think he's... thousand percent behind that. I think he's right up there. I, I, for whatever reason, Alan and I sometimes sound like each other. Don't ask me why. It just is, we, we speak the same language, maybe we're because we're both guitar players. And, you know, that's how we started. But I agree with you. I think what comes to mind is contact. I see this is, uh, you know, and, and Predator, this is the Alan that I love. And then you mentioned Mouse That's an amazingly wonderful score. Mm-hmm. I think what we're saying is there are just certain folks out there, and again, John being probably at the top of that list, that literally can find something in maybe a little more of the mundane material and make it something really, really spectacular. Yeah, I, I could not have oh, said that better. And of course, Jerry better. did that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, him. <laughs> you know, Poltergeist without Jerry's score would not be in my humble opinion, one-eighth as scary as, as that was. Right. And actually, horror is, uh, horror, thriller, that genre is exactly what I'm talking about when you start talking about creating atmospheres. There's a, a very huge difference between creating something that scares you and something that creates an atmosphere to scare you. And whenever I try and explain that inside of our show, we always get email about shut up and talk about the characters or tell us more about the soap opera aspects of a television show. And I refuse to do that because it's something that has to get noticed. Otherwise, we're every movie that we and television series that we talk about is going to end up being that same lots of loud explosions and screaming and gunfire. Oh, and by the way, there's also music. Absolutely right. And, you know, the other thing I would add to that, Michael, is that as in composer... 101, mm-hmm. you know, school, mm-hmm. um, each genre has its own set of challenges, and each genre, you must develop your own bag of tricks. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in the case of a thriller or a horror movie, you know, it's it's absolutely crucial as a composer to know when to throw the red herring out, when mm-hmm. to scare the hell out of, you know, the audience, when to build up to a scare that isn't there, and then 30 seconds later, there's a scare, you know. But every genre is like that. Yeah. I think, again, speaking composer 101, especially what I say to young composers, that, you know, one must become very adept at knowing the different routes that one must take in these films, and be they a romantic comedy, a big action movie like an Iron Man, being a scary movie, or, a, you know, I consider Predators more of a action thriller horror movie. Yeah, I agree with that. That's the way I approach the score. Mm-hmm. So... It's all about the learning process and, and how, you know, well a composer can pick that up. And certainly someone like John Williams is, that's why he's at the top and has been for so many years. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about some epic people and they've all started in different points. What We, we touched on it just briefly, but let's hit it over the head. What is the instrument that started it all for you? Well, I'm a guitar player and I, I started by playing in rock and roll bands. Really, I thought that was the road I was going to take. And then when I did albums, worked on people's records in the 
day. And But, you know, once I got into college, it sort of became a whole other journey for me. I really, really discovered, you know, my love of classical music, of, of the study of music. Mm-hmm. That's when it sort of all changed for me. Then I got much more serious about music and about film and music in particular. And that's what started for me. And then, you know, of course, in my work, I play keyboard 99% of the day. That's what I'm playing. Mm-hmm. And depending on the score, I sometimes, like an Iron Man, I'll get to pull my guitar out and have a little fun, or Predators, I'll, I'll pull it out and throw on some power chords and things like that. Yeah. So, what, Other instruments? Uh, again, we've talked about guitar, keyboards, which I'm assuming leads I, to every synthesizer on the planet. play a bit of cello. Cello, okay. Oh, not you, great. I used to play uh, a little saxophone. I'm actually learning how to play a wonderful instrument right now called the guitar viol. I think that's the proper name of it. It's sort of a guitar an instrument that's tuned as a guitar but you bow it interesting um, a lot of us guitar player types are kind of learning how to play this wonderful instrument so huh. and does it does it provide you with different tone i mean obviously guitar with a bow is going to produce something absolutely it does. it's sort okay. of a cross between a guitar and a cello and it's really quite neat interesting I'm, I'm a giant cello fan in fact the uh the soloist again another robert downey jr film that was just incredibly striking you, you could drive that whole movie, have no actors, and just a big bunch of camera zooms in on some cool cello playing, and I'd be good. Yeah, I you know I never saw the movie. You should definitely. It, it's something completely different than what you're thinking. It, it it doesn't it doesn't turn into a Jerry Maguire at any point in the film. And the uh, the features on that on the at least the standard DVD disc are something you should definitely not miss. Uh, the story of the gentleman that's featured actually meeting him, so that you get some. Uh, some background that's all on that disc. It's very well done. Wow, great. I'll check it out for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's something uh, we didn't feature that on the network, but it was something I brought home and reviewed on our blog. Again, if uh, for those looking for our blogs, you can go to televisionreviewblogs.com. You can also hit bloggersbug.com, which is a new project from Two Guys Talking. It features a bunch of uh, promotional bloggers from a variety of companies and stances in life. Don't miss that at bloggersbug.com. John, tell me more about what do you play now? Do, do you go grab your guitar and just strum, or no, maybe no, maybe hum along to some ACDC no, on I, the soundtrack that doesn't feature any of you? <laughs> now these days, I think we most do, we sit at the keyboard and sure. we have a complete virtual orchestra and mm-hmm. at our fingertips with big drum loops, with big drum sounds, and and I, I would guess ninety nine percent of us do it that way. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, so I I perform every part every instrument and i demo every piece of music and then wow you know play them for the director and uh they say yay or nay and you know then i make my changes but pretty much that process i think that we all do that i'm not i don't have the team mentality i still do it all myself mm-hmm. which may be foolish of me but i i do that being the one guy of two guys talking i, I totally join you um the the two guys talking model is the model for uh my show and most of the work that i do but the fact is that there's one guy so i i join you in that and i don't know if it's because i'm an only child or it's because i'm incredibly self-reliant or i know i can push myself to my own limits and then some where i couldn't depend on people to follow along i'm not sure but i i totally join you in that but me too i'm an only child too yeah that, that that's got to be some of it i i i don't have any problem being a team player in fact i i love bringing in other teams because that's the perspective that's what that's what fuels much of the show the shows that we create here two guys talking but the the gist of knowing that there's at least this big a stone to build on i need that in all my projects and uh so i i totally i totally feel that yeah i, I i'm with you and, and everybody's different you know i think that the the Hans model uh that works very very well too <laughs> yeah. just uh, i haven't quite found you know if i were to find that Two, you know, another person or two or three people yeah. sort of do it with me, Yeah, I would do it, but I just haven't had, found those people yet. I, 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 have a, I have a small select bunch, depending on topic, who I bring in and talk about either feature films or uh, we're going to be hitting up uh, Dexter on Showtime. We're going to be doing the Two Guys Talking Dexter podcast here in the fall, and I found the guy that's going to be the host with me for that. But that, it's very much like, um, like an army mission. And so I go and I find the specialist that's going to help me through it, and then I get done. That, that's kind of the mentality. It's, a, it's the Swiss Army knife mentality, which I really, really like to work with. Right. Wow. Well, good. What, uh, what is your favorite soundtrack to date that you have created? Oh, that's tough. It, you know what? I bet, I bet many of us are like that. 
it, it's sort of tough to point to your own work. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one that I think is quite good. First of all, I'm very self-critical of myself, so I rarely, I rarely can really enjoy anything I've done, and you know, I don't think in those terms. I don't think, wow, that's really good. You know, I, I just, I think of that mainly with other people's work. I think Cutthroat Island is quite the score. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we worked very, very hard on it. It was a marathon, you know, three hours of music, and um, and we did it in London in the day, and it was quite a magical experience. I think that stands out. I think the Passion of the Christ is, I have to mention that, because it was just, you know, such a journey of uh, love, blood, sweat, and tears. Well, and literally, I, I'd like to build in this question here. Uh, sure. The Passion of the Christ, how... And again, I'm, I'm always the uh, the religious skeptic, and so I think this is where this comes from. How do you sit down at the keyboard, I'm amassing the orchestra that you're going to start with inside of the keyboard, and you say, "And this is the jingle of the Lord." <laughs> I, I don't. How, how do you how do you start that day? Well, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, depending on if, if you know whatever your belief system is, it, that can be difficult. Now, you have to remember that's my belief system, and right. I was brought up Catholic, sure. and went away from that for a while and then through the death of my mom and sort of refound that faith. So sure. by the time the passion came and fell in my lap, it was already, you know, I was primed and ready. It was it was at the moment of, of a re-emergence of my own personal faith. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was very, very um, important, personally to me, important territory for me to explore. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I wasn't of the faith, it would be probably a different thing. Sure. It would be a different it would be a different process, but I happen to that happens to be my faith. So for me it wasn't as difficult perhaps as someone who wasn't of the faith. Sure. Tell me a little bit about working with Mel Gibson back then. I would say this, I mean I spoke about Mel a couple of days ago that the friend of mine that I was mentioning that we were having a discussion about and I, I think that, you know, putting aside all the other controversial problems that we're seeing right now. And mm-hmm. I will say this, I still to this day feel he's one of the most brilliant directors I've ever, filmmakers I've ever worked with. Yeah, you, you don't make movies like The Passion and Braveheart and you're an idiot. So I, I, I realize he's done some really goofy things I, in the last couple um, of months. So but. I, I think we must always separate the work from the person. You know, on my little list of people like a Steven who I've worked with, Yeah. He's on that list. What yeah. can I say? He's yeah. on the a list of maybe five names. Five. Yeah. I no. haven't worked with Scorsese. I bet he's on the... I think he's on the list with Scorsese. Uh, Chris Nolan. I think Chris Nolan's on that list. Mm-hmm. Very few are on that list. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. Oh, I think Mel's on that list. And I bet if you asked other directors, they might admit that he might be on that list. He's How- that brilliant. How about someone else's soundtrack? What is something that you can either throw in an iPod or in the car or in your studio and, and listen to and, and fall into? Uh, recently, I just watched Philadelphia again, something I, I I don't think I've watched that in maybe five or six years, and I didn't realize, again, the atmosphere that not not only the the uh, the composer there, but the just the, the cinematography, the vision, the chemistry that's poured into that film that oozes. I, I had forgotten about that because it had been long enough since I'd seen it. That is a great film, and, a, and I, was that Howard? That was a good yeah, score. Yeah, that was Howard Shore, yeah. I think, you know, for me, it's interesting you bring up Howard. I think Howard is a master at creating music that follows perfectly in sync with a film. Yeah. Thomas Newman is another I, I one. I would say there's a whole other group of composers, in my humble opinion, that I won't put on in the car, but I see their work with the film, and... I think it's absolutely spot on, yeah. uh, away from the movie. But I think what he does so beautifully is that he he seems to find the right music for the movie. But yeah. he's certainly not someone I would have in the car, to, to be <laughs> quite frank. You know, but there are a lot of people I wouldn't put on in the car. <laughs> people I would put on in the car would be Jerry Goldsmith. I'm listening right now. I'm listening to Total Recall. Sure. Um, Brilliant soundtrack. These are guys that that humble me. Yeah. You know, when I like to listen to music, or, you know, or classical music, I love to listen to music that literally humbles me to the point of I, that, I, that I need to sort of pick it apart and find out why it's so fantastic. Yeah. First Harry Potter. I remember, it seems like I happen to do that a lot with John. I'll listen to his music 
away from the film and I literally will just start to weep because, yeah. and I mean that literally, yeah. it's like, wow, I mean, this is just, I'm listening to God, to, to use sort of a metaphoric term, I'm listening to God expressed musically. That's how deep it is for me. We are just getting off of three great uh, Toy Story perspective reviews, all the way from the original that came out in 1995, the second one that came out in 1999, but then the third one that hit this summer, which was just extraordinary. And the music of Randy Newman and all of the people that helped put together the soundtracks from all three of those films. If the content of the movies doesn't get you, the soundtrack, in particular the second one, just destroys me as a, a viewer. I, I continually talk to our, our audiences about I me being you, the... By the uh, way, I, was, I neglected to put Randy. Yeah. Randy would be on that list. I mean, Randy is a national treasure. Yeah. Randy yeah. is... He is the, a tunesmith with the utmost skill. He's, yeah. I I, uh, I usually will never admit this to anybody, but somehow I found Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in my DVD player a couple of nights ago. Wow! And uh, I I remember that film when, when I, from when I was a kid, and I bought it when the gold Uber edition feature filled one came out, but I had never watched it, and so it was probably the first time I'd seen it in I don't know twenty years. Right. And I I had forgotten how epic that movie is it, it gets kind of drifty towards the end and i'm not entirely sure what they were shooting for but the, just the the epic nature of all of the choreography that's going on in that film and the the music that doesn't just provide you with a soundtrack but literally rips you and puts you into frame again it speaks to the power of tremendously powerful soundtracks that are obviously present in all of your work well i mean you know thank you you you, you mentioned Randy Newman, and then yeah, I think Chitty Chitty Bam Bam, if I'm not mistaken, is the Sherman brothers. Sher Sherman, right. And boy, I just got to work with, and he's a lifelong friend of mine, by the way, Dick Sherman. Mm. I got to work with him a little bit on Iron Man because he wrote this wonderful retro, you know, Stark Industries song. Jingle, right. Mm -hmm. uh, jingle. Yeah. And boy, I think that's actually included in the original Iron Man soundtrack. That one? Make way. Make way. I'll sing it for you. Da, dun, 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 dun. Okay, I remember that from the film. Okay. Apologies to your listeners. <laughs> no worries. Where else are they going to hear it, right? This <laughs> It's striking. It's, it's again delivering stuff that people almost always overlook, and that's why I want to showcase people like you, like Sherman, like Randy, all of these wonderful people that bring a literal piece of tapestry into what you're watching, but very often, as you absolutely admitted, it's underneath an explosion or gunfire. <laughs> and I just I don't want people to miss out on what you guys are providing. Well, we re we appreciate that. It's so wonderful that you're doing that, Michael, really. And guys like you, guys like Robert Townsend and yeah. Perez, who's yeah. a lifelong friend of mine. I've done probably 20 albums with him. I yeah. mean, without you and the fans that care about what we do, we, we you know, uh, that's one of the joys, for me at least, and I know it's, I'm sure it's for, for a lot of us, that you get to meet the fans and, you know, Many times fans will remember things that I did that I don't remember, but it's just a joy. So Yeah, we, we talk about feature films, we talk about television, and just about everything in between. What is your favorite movie? That's a tough one. You're on the desert island, for which you've made this wonderful soundtrack, and now you've got time to put in a movie with your favorite magical electricity. Movie I've worked on? Uh, no, just a movie. Doesn't... In, oh, boy. Boy, isn't that... that that's a... <laughs> that's a tough one. You know, I, I, there are certain movies that always get me. Yeah. I think the best years of my uh, of our lives. You know, that's a little more obscure than maybe some of your listeners will, will know. This was a movie that was done, I think, right after World War II. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it because, first of all, the movie is it, it is a classic, and I think it's always on lists of top five. But there's also this wonderfully, unbelievably emotional score by Hugo Friedhofer. Mm -hmm. Hugo Friedhofer won an Academy Award for that, and... Hugo Friedhofer was a, an orchestrator par excellence during those days and worked for a lot of different people and also wrote some scores. And one of the scores he wrote was This Best Years of Our Lives. And literally, if that film's on and I watch it, you know, I'll be a, a pile of weep, a weeping. <laughs> Man flesh. Just unbelievable what this guy, what Hugo did. And, you know, guys like Jerry Goldsmith, every, everybody knew Hugo and knew how talented he was. Wonderful life another one that comes to mind a little later in, in, in the you know I have to always mention probably E.T. yeah 
probably for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, actually, maybe Empire Strikes Back. Newer stuff, believe it or not, I, if Tombstone is on, I have to watch it. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I, I we uh, we have a guilty pleasure series that's going to be launching in the new year of two, 2011, and I think it's one of the best westerns made in the last 25 years. Yeah, no, I agree with that totally. The uh, the cast, I the cast, and I, and I love Silverado. But yeah, the the cast of that film is again another one of those that's completely underrated. That will, if a cast like that ever happens again, we'll know about the movie for sure yeah. because it was just that good. Right, and Kurt Russell again is another one of those I think uh, very underrated. American actors. I think. I think he under. I think he underestimates himself. He's he's unbelievably an, talented. Yeah, a, a true treasure. And uh, there's a film coming up, the the prequel to the thing that's coming out. I, I think it's 2012 for that one. Right. And I know that he has not been signed to that, but to somehow go back and visit not only just that character, but uh, Kurt Russell is just a. He's another national treasure, frankly. He is. How about uh, how about television? Are you uh, you're probably too busy to watch television? But what are your, some of your favorite television series? Oddly from the enough, past? I'm glad you mentioned television. I think some of the best drama is on TV these days. I really do. Uh, you mentioned 24. I'm addicted to 24. <laughs> I saw Sean Callery a few weeks ago at, an, at, at a dinner, and I you know I. <laughs> I told him I'm your biggest fan. Yeah, we we have been covering 24 for the last six years, and uh, every episode, uh, point by point, and I got to tell you, Sean Callery is in a lot of those. We we got a lot of feedback to the positive, but even more to the negative. Why do you take the time to talk about the soundtrack all the time? And the answer is because it it fuels you. You watch and you see Jack, and you see what's going on, but there's something that's pumping behind you, and it is the soundtrack. It is it is the score of Jack driving jack that you don't even get because everybody's paying attention to kiefer uh but the, the on calorie what what maybe those naysayers don't realize is what sean calorie's doing is writing really a film score every week and right. this is why this is the reason one of the reasons why i i am a big fan of his yeah i think that every week he brings something different to the table he's not really that i've seen and i've seen the last three seasons also i don't think he's regurgitating much no he is not uh, it seems to be fresh mm-hmm. different every week and that's a rarity uh, the, you know the the only thing we called him on there was a what it's the only time in the entire run of the program that i didn't care for his music there was a portion where he and uh tony are escaping from a building and it felt like a it was like a mario brothers cartoon and i'm like what was Sean sick this weekend? What happened? <laughs> I, I, I don't... It was something that just well, didn't feel well, right at all. Maybe he was, and maybe uh, whatever the director, whoever that was that week, maybe wanted that, but certainly yeah, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's something we'll definitely have to explore. If there are any avenues you can open our eyes to on that, we, we would love to talk to Sean. And uh, again, he he is easily one of the components that gave us the success that we had in the beginning of the Two Guys Talking. Back then it was the Two Guys Talking 24 podcast. Uh, so what about extended editions or Blu-rays of films? What do, you, what do you do as a composer when those things come back to you? My experience with, with Blu-rays and special features has been simply that normally record a lot of music mm-hmm. for a given film and sometimes we don't use all that music so uh. for special features a lot of times they've used pieces of music either from the film or pieces that were recorded but not used mm-hmm. it's rare that I record anything specifically for a special feature usually it's just a piece that has been used or something that was cut that then you know sort of played for the special features what about future projects what are you doing John well thankfully I've off about four or five films in a row so i'm just chilling a little bit um <laughs> i've got a film called the double which is a very very small yet very interesting movie a thriller mm-hmm. that i'm mm-hmm. going to do with michael brandt who is the uh, writer of 310 to yuma and wanted mm-hmm. and many others i think i'm going to do a video game for fun and and uh just to kick the chill a little bit and then next year there's a lot going on gary marshall's got another movie Rob Cohen's going to be doing a a triple X movie that I think he wants me to do. Robert Rodriguez is jumping right into another movie. I'm hoping, you know, I keep asking Robert, when are we going to do Sin City 2? He wants to do it. So it's just a question of time and financing. I'm hoping that's going to happen next year. I can't, you know, I don't know for sure, but my guess is that will happen next year. And I know fans will probably be pretty excited about that because personally that's, you know, when you and I were talking earlier, but one of 
movies, I should have mentioned that one. Um, I think Sin City is just extraordinary, fabulous movie, yeah. and you know it was so much fun for me to work on that with Graham and with Robert. So um, that was truly that's way that that's very high on my list. Sin City. Well, and I think all those projects sound awesome. If people want to contact John Debney, how do they do that? Where should they go to learn more about you, John? Thank you for mentioning. Uh, go to the website. We have a nice new website we're working on. It's called, it just go to johndebney.com, and you can check out what's sort of happening there. We're trying to get a lot more listening samples in there because I get a lot of comments from fans and, and you know, other people that are working on films, music editors. Mm -hmm. They'd love to have more access to more of the music so we're working on that but that would be the best place to go and i'd invite all the listeners to go to that and you know, might find me on facebook uh here and there so and i'm trying to do more sort of events where i can interact with the fans and i'm going to be doing something actually august 28th mm -hmm. i believe we're set uh, mm -hmm. to do a signing and, and, a, and a greeting over at Dark Delicacies here in burbank burbank wow. california okay and i'm going to be with some of my cohorts i think uh the guys are going to be there. Well, I, I love that you're busy. Yeah, look for that. Yeah, I, I love that you're busy. I love that you're continuing to get work. And I cannot wait to hear more about your future projects and visits to previous projects where you truly do bring it. Thank you for coming on the Two Guys Talking Podcast, John. Michael, it's been my pleasure. Listen, let's do it again. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you what, we'll do that. We'll, uh, we'll finish out the upcoming Inception review, and we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk more about giant feature films where the music makes a difference inside of the summer of 2010 here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Everybody, thanks for listening. John Debney, again, my thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Michael. Hate all the fans. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and co-workers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number, twoguystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.